I'm coming back to this same verse next week. Two parts, two statements in this verse. Here, here we go. Psalm 62, verse 11. One thing God has spoken, two things I've heard, that you, O God, are strong and loving. I suppose every coin has two sides. Every circumstance has two different ways of looking at it, uh, two different perspectives upon it, and different uh, angles or, or ways of seeing or, or knowing. If I said, uh, this is what this box looks like, you would say, uh, from which side? For example, are you looking at it from the front? Are you looking at it from the side, the top, or an angle? Or are you on the outside? Or are you looking at it from the inside? There's so many different perspectives from, for the same reality. And I suppose everything in the universe, everything that we think about, could be, could be taken in that way that um, there's two more than one side. Here's, here's a verse in the book of Proverbs. We've all been here. We've all been in this situation. The first to present his case seems right until another comes forward, right? <laughs> You've been there? You hear somebody tell their sob story and you say, oh, it's terrible. I agree with you. Well, that's awful what that person did. It shouldn't be allowed. They should be punished. And then you hear the other side of it and you say, huh, well, oh, that's a meb. That's a point. Uh, yeah. And before long, we just realized how wise Solomon was, that there's two sides to everything. And so, when we read that God is strong, we might think, well, that's the end of that story. Just God's strength bulldozes over top of everything. But then there's a second side, and we'll come back to that next week. Today, I'm on the, on the strong side. Next week, I'll come back to the side of it that says he's loving. And let's try to ask ourselves, does that contradict his being strong? Of course, you know my answer to that's going to be no. It doesn't mean he's, he's contradicting himself. But it does seem like a different side. And as I say, everything has at least two sides. I mean, the loving side seems to be quite an opposite focus than the strong side. The strong side says, get out of my way. And the loving side says, I'd like to spend, I'd like to look at you and pay attention to you rather than you get out of my way. And so if I understand the, the psalmist, to go back to this verse, he's saying to, the, to me, he's saying to us, God has spoken, and in the, in the voice of God, in the events of God, in the reality, in the revelation of God, I got two messages out of it. One is that he's strong, but that doesn't mean that he's loving. I'm, I'm sorry. One, means that he's, one is that he's strong, but that doesn't mean he isn't loving. The other is that he's loving, but that doesn't mean he's weak. And he, and he, and he just all sap, and he, and he has no spine. No. This, this message that I've received is that God is, that, that there's two sides here. And 
in the mixture of these two together, it's not either or, it's both and. Kind of like Jesus Christ was not either God or man. He was both, fully God and he was fully man. And so he says, I've heard, you've said one thing, but I've heard two things. And this is the two sides of what I've heard or what I have seen un unveiled in my life. So let's talk about a bit about Strong. You know, I remember when I was a kid, my dad read a story out of, I think, the Reader's Digest to us, and it was about a guy named Paul Anderson. And I was small, and I have no idea why I remember this, but I have always remembered this dude was an Olympic uh, uh, weightlifter, and he was billed as the world's strongest man. And, uh, you know, there were a couple pictures of him, and the one picture I remember was there was a table of some sort, and a guy was standing on the table, and Paul Anderson was underneath the table, I guess, with this man on his back, and, and the table, and I don't know, maybe some other stuff, and he was just all rippled muscles, and he was the world's strongest man. And I was just in awe of Paul Anderson. I don't know anything about him. But at the, as a kid, hearing that he was the world's strongest man impressed me. And the one, thing, one of the things that I remember from that article that my dad read to us was he could bend a spike with his bare hands, now, it didn't define spike, it didn't go into any details, but he could bend a big nail, bend the metal with his hands, just like, uh, uh, you know, some of these dudes can take a, some kind of a, a lightweight skillet and roll it up and crush it. I mean, incredible, the kind of strength that some humans at times can have. And I, you know, I'm sure there's been many other versions of the world's strongest man, but that one impressed me as a little kid, Paul Anderson, and he could bend nails with his hands. And I thought, boy, uh, there's just nothing like that. You can't mess with him. Um, you know, in the 50s, in the mid-50s, the Soviets exploded a nuclear uh, test in Siberia somewhere uh, that was, at that time, the, power, most powerful, the, the most powerful explosion known, the most powerful release of force. Uh, it knocked people, when this, when this nuclear test bomb went off, it knocked people to their feet 50 miles away. It knocked people off of their feet, not to their feet, off their feet. Um, knocked them to the ground 50 miles away. In the 60s, the United States created the Saturn rocket motor. That was the most powerful motor, the most powerful mankind-generated force, not nuclear, but of human mechanical force at that time ever known in the world was Saturn rocket motor. Needed millions of pounds of thrust to propel these astronauts up. Power, strength. You know, uh, there's many different versions of it. And there's many, there's many different, uh, there's many different angles or types of power. You, oh God, are strong. If uh, you were able to look at the Hebrew text, it's very simple and very, very straightforward. And I just wrote it here in the literal way. It just says, power is la Elohim. La Elohim, to God or of God. That's, it, it doesn't have the word is. It just says it's of him or it is off of him or from him. It's just a preposition. Look. So it's just telling us that, that, that God is the origin. It, it, any kind of power we might come up with, 
whether it's mechanical or whether it's power of character, is from God. He is powerful. And, and of course, the other side of that, which we'll come back to next Sunday, it's also love is chesed le'elohim. Love, loving kindnesses of God. So that's the, that's the soft side. The hard stuff and the soft stuff. It's all of God. He's the fountain of love, but He's also the source or the origin of our power, of, of all power. Now, I, I, I have a couple things, and if you have sermon notes there looking at, I'm going to divide it sort of into two halves. The one seems to me that I'm trying to say God's power means He cannot fail. Now, I don't know any kind of power that's beyond failure. In fact, we speak sometimes of a power failure, uh, a failure of the power grid electrically and so forth. How, um, God's power is so great that it means that He is beyond failure at that which He seeks to accomplish. But He's also so strong and powerful that what He does or says or wants is going to happen. So he's beyond being contradicted. This is unlike any kind of power that any of us would even be able to fathom. So I just picked these two things at random to talk about. And, um, and I, I just picked at random also several issues to discuss. We could pick other ones, but several issues to discuss regarding how God's power is displayed. But if I could sum it up, and send you home, I'll just do it this way. God's power is so great and so thorough that he's able to accomplish. Now, we're not able to accomplish often. We would like to accomplish, and we say, well, I'm going to try to do this, or I hope to do that, and sometimes we make it, sometimes we don't. God doesn't just want to do it or try to do it. He does it. If he, if, if, his power is power of, of, that's finished, it's accomplished. The other thing that, the other similar but a little bit different, is that God is able to, this is point number two, he's, he's able to act. He doesn't have any restrictions. He don't have any government committees or rules or, or all these kind of things uh, holding him or in any way constricting him. He is fully able to act. But get this. This is to me, I mean, in my thinking, as I was trying to think, what could I say about God's power? This to me struck me more than anything else at all. He's able to act in a way that's always consistent with himself. You know, I might try to do things, and sometimes I'm a hypocrite. I contradict my own code. I contradict my own desire or I, I failed to follow through with something that I really wanted to follow through by. I'm, I'm not always consistent with myself. No, neither nor are any of us. But God's ability, His power is so great that anything He does is always going to be in line with everything else He does. He's always going to be consistent within Himself. And so now you can go home. You got the two points. Uh, Actually, I'll just say this. I was going to break it at lunchtime for the last part. All right. I picked three areas here to just talk about his power, uh, his ability to accomplish things. As I said, I could, I could pick three other areas. 
um, to discuss. These are just examples of the unstoppable strength of God. And there's that strength that's so pervasive and overwhelming that it's always beyond failure. God always gets the final word. You know, we, um, we, have a, we, we talk about sometimes the long and twisting road or there's, a, there's a, a country song about God bless the broken road that led me straight to you. And we, we think sometimes of our lives or we think of civilization through trials and arrows and turns and twists. We make progress forward because our knowledge is partial and our power is partial. And I'm trying to say, look, God is so powerful that he doesn't have any twisty, windy roads. He starts here and he goes in a straight and a direct and unalterable path to the finish line. It's just how he does things. It's how it is unto him in our universe because his power to accomplish is, uh, is beyond error. It's beyond trial and error. It's beyond simply trying to do something and maybe getting uh, diverted and then having to come back to it. God's, God's actions are just straight as an arrow right to the target because his power is unlimited. Okay, here for example, one that we live with and see and, and appreciate and admire every day is simply the, the, the power that God employed. The scripture doesn't go into a lot of detail. It just says God decided to create a world. So he said, let there be light. And there was light. And let the waters above be separated from the waters below. And so forth. And we're familiar with it. The story. But when you, when you think of the fact that God's power not only simply out of nothing brought the universe and the world as we know it and the galaxies and stars and planets and, and I started to say the satellites but I guess God didn't create satellites there. Uh, we, we did that part. But not only did he put everything here, but he keeps everything here. This is, this is kind of crazy to us because we live in a world of decay. We live in a world where entropy is constantly working, breaking things down and destroying and pulling apart and rusting and, and, and drowning and burning and, and causing everything to slowly deteriorate. But look at that last phrase. God holds things together. God doesn't know anything about entropy. God's, God's power has no uh, diminishing effects. It just continually, as it says here, is the glue to, to hold the molecules in motion, to hold everything in its place, um, physical and infinite. Physical and non-physical. If you look in this uh, earlier in this verse, it's, this this verse is, is wild to consider the implications of it. That the power of God didn't just make all of this complex world that we still don't understand all of. But look at this invisible. He made all the invisible stuff too. Um, until we got microscopes, we didn't even know there was a lot of the stuff that's around. It was invisible, but now it's visible. But guess what? Beyond that realm, there's still more invisible. And out there, beyond the telescopes, there's a lot of invisible stuff. And in fact, he mentions the kind of things here. Thrones and powers and rulers and authorities. This is all intangible stuff. 
in other words, relationships and, and all kinds of things. They were all created by him, and they were all created for him. It gets pretty exciting that he's, he's the source and he's the goal. This power that God has is a creative power that determines and decides that things are going to be made and things are going to be sustained, and that's how it happens. And the fact that he has said someday this particular globe is going to burn up and someday he's going to start it up again, and that's just all part of the plan. But the, the fact that he did it once means he can do it again if he chooses and when he chooses, and that's what he will. What a, when, when the psalmist says, you said something to me, Lord, that you are powerful, um, this encompasses all of not just the physical world and the world of our bodies. I think about, you know, uh, Jan Hurst, for example, this morning and others who, who just need uh, some kind of a reversal of a physical condition that they're crying out for, they're looking for, they're praying or hoping for. The, the answer and the hope and the power for this is in God. Because He sustains the physical universe as well as many other things. Okay, I, I, I know I'm going to just skim across, but I'll try to keep skimming. I said, I picked these at random, and I did. We could pick completely other, other topics, but this one grabs my attention because this is the place where there's so much hurt in human life, in, in the human world. God's power is so great that when we consider this topic of of, of justice, probably the first reaction is we, we just sort of say, oh my, because justice has to do with the punishment or reward that is deserved by any person or any action, and it's quite complicated. Um, justice assumes there must be a standard by which right and wrong can be determined so that punishment or reward can be handed out. Even for us, even if we think we know what is right and wrong in a situation, it still doesn't mean we can make it happen. We may have every indicator and every conviction that someone is innocent in a charging of a crime. does not mean that we, as an individual are able to keep them from being accused of that crime or of uh, convicted of that crime. Justice is very elusive for us as human beings. We may be, we, we may be too ignorant or too impotent to make justice happen. If I ask you a question, what would justice be for Hitler? Or say Putin, take Putin today in our world. What would justice be for this man? Um, we would get so many answers. And, but in the end, we would all say, well, he needs to be punished, but whatever it is, we, we can't do anything about it. And so we, we live with frustration. You know, someone like, like Hitler, for example, who was responsible for the slaughtering of many millions of people, millions and millions of people. He took his own life. So he faced no human court. What kind of justice is that? Think of all the, uh, the millions of people who would like to set him back up on a chair and put him on trial and make him listen and, and, and this kind of thing. All I'm saying is justice 
is extremely slippery. And sometimes somebody is accused of a, of a tri- crime or convicted of a crime, and over here is a whole group of people saying, but you got the wrong person. They didn't even do this. <clears throat> or they themselves claim that. <clears throat> and though we have many resources and institutions devoted to the cause of justice, we're so limited and we're so weak and we're so ignorant that we can never even know whether we got it right. You know, I'm so impressed with x-rays. You can walk into an emergency room and they can throw your arm on an x-ray machine or whatever and they can, they can see those bones right there and they say, aha, you have, a, you have a broken this or that. They haven't made an x-ray machine yet for the heart, for the mind, for the motives, for the will. And you can stand a, guy, stand a guy up against the wall and take 100 pictures of him, and you still don't know what he's thinking. And you don't know what he did. And you don't know what he tried to do. You don't know what he got away with or what he might have got away with. There's no x-ray machine for justice that says, here it is, it's clear and simple. But God's power uh, is so great that he is the x-ray machine for the human heart. Here's the verse in Hebrews 4 that tells us this. And uh, if this doesn't make you quiver, then I don't know what would. Because it says God can look at you and see straight through between your soul and your spirit, your joints and the marrow of your bone. That's an analogy. It sees the difference between the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And there's nothing that's hidden and there's nothing that's uncovered. Uh, I'm not talking about the deed. I'm talking about the motive side of things. I mean, this is, this is justice coming down. When God can stand before you and say, uh, 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 I know you didn't do it, but you, did, you thought about it, or you wanted to do it, or I know you didn't do it, but you tried to do it, just because of incompetence, you failed, but you tried, and he sees all this stuff, and he, and he uncovers and he lays everything bare, and we've got to give an account to him of that, all that stuff that nobody else knows about or has a way to see, because such is the power of God, that the justice of him is clear through. We are transparent before him. Here's another side of the justice angle that we are so weak with. Uh, we all pull our hair out at times, some of us a little more than others, of, of the fact that people are convicted of crimes or people are obviously guilty of crimes and they're not always punished according to what we think they should be, or people, um, the, the imperfections of our system of justice are many on both sides of the ledger. And, and, and hang on here, how, where am I at here? Okay, I'm, I'm mixing them up here. Clear understanding of our actions and motives. That's what we don't have. We, we don't really know, but God knows. But also, he has the ability to actually enforce his powers such, such that if he decrees something will be happening as a punishment or reward, then it's going to happen. And many judges would sit and envy God the fact that they have decreed something and it never took place, or they have tried to create a situation that, where they thought justice would happen, and it never did. If God says it, that, that take this, this person away into eternal punishment, 
or come enter into the joy of my Lord. If God uh, states uh, some sort of a, a punishment or a reward for, for the sake of justice, it's going to happen. He doesn't need any, any policemen or handcuffs or any of the other things. He don't need an army around him. It's going to happen because his power. You, O oh God, are strong. Now, here's the other one, and this one's one that makes me want to just jump up and dance and sing and hoot and kick my heels up. And many other, many other people around the world. And that is the fact that all of the miscarriages of justice from human history, and none of us could even imagine, there's mountains and mountains of them. They're all going to be taken care of and made right. This is what makes you, you know, want to hoop and holler when you think about it. The poor people who were convicted of something, even perhaps sentenced to death for a crime they didn't commit or whatever, or all the other people who accomplished something but were never given credit for it, or the people who cheated and got away with it, or the people who, um, you know, stole money and nobody ever knew who did it, and they never, or the poor, the poor victim of a murder found lying in a field and nobody ever figured out who did it or why. All that stuff, all of the imperfect punishments or the imperfect rewards. You know, we have a system today that often rewards people, and they don't deserve it, but they'll take it. This is a, here's, a, here's a statement from Psalm 9. I want to just read this. The Lord reigns forever, is established his throne for judgment. These are just phrases from this passage that I've, relevant phrases I've put in here. He will judge the world in righteousness. Not just judge the world and hope he gets, you know, wouldn't it be great if I get 90% accuracy? Can you imagine God saying that to an angel? I'm just shooting for 9 out of 10, if I can get 9 out of 10 right. He will judge the world in righteousness and govern with justice. Um, he who avenges blood remembers. God's memory is never going to forget, and these things might happen in 1492 or the, the year 92. Cain killed Abel. That's a long time ago. And we've been killing each other ever since. And we've been robbing each other and committing adultery against each other and stabbing each other in the back and treating each other in, human, in, human, in humanity in every kind of low-down form imaginable and some that people can hardly imagine. It just seems animalistic and brutalistic and beyond the pale of humanity and civilization. The things we've done to each other and this says God remembers every one of them. And every person who thought they got away with it or said, well, that was worth doing. You know, I, I did it and I only got six months in jail, so it was, it was really worth it to me because I got a million bucks stashed out here somewhere. All of that stuff, whatever it might be, on the positive side of the ledger or on the negative, the needy will not be forgotten. The hope of the afflicted will not perish. The person who sits there and says, I'd just like to know what happened to my missing kid. They disappeared. Somebody stole them. Somebody killed them. Somebody trafficked them. And I, I, I live my life. I never know what happened to my little kid. That person always has a hope within them, but it's so hard to, 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 to bring out because they were afflicted I believe that might be a typo. It's supposed to be afflicted. The hope of the afflicted. The hope of the afflicted. Many people are afflicted and the justice system never makes it right. This says that your hope, if you're one of the afflicted, you, your hope will never die 
until someday God's power says, now we're going to right that wrong. Now we're going to correct this situation that people thought and tried to make happen, but it really never did, it never did bring um, justice for the victim. This never really did bring justice to the crook. But now you're, you've hoped and hoped and hoped, and your affliction has never been forgotten. And I'm the one who avenges blood. I mean, this is power. Power to actually make justice happen. Very quickly, very quickly. Life. I'm just going to move as fast as I can through this. You, cannot, you and I cannot create life. Neither can anybody or any spiritual power of which we are aware. There's no demonic spirit or angelic spirit that can create life. But God gives, nurtures, provides, sustains uh, not only the, what we call life, but even here the physical body that wraps around it. He creates it. His power is such that it says, look, nothing was made that is made except he made it. This is what, what it says. In him was life. So th there's, this is like a, like a slam dunk. There's nobody else can do it. But he does it, and he has done it. But, but more, he takes the hold of the life that the physical is part of, which we call spiritual, and he holds on to that and superintends and guides that just as much and strongly and ably as he does the physical. So he sets the physical world in motion. That doesn't mean that he doesn't pay attention to the other part of us. And so it says, for example, when Jesus was talking about this, he said, you know, the, there's going to come a point in every one of our lives where the physical body will be done. And, you know, all the medicine in the world and all the care and all the prayer and all everything else that everybody does isn't going to stop this. A time is coming when the dead, everybody's going to be part of that. It's just how it is. But that's just talking about the physical death. That's just talking about the body side. They're going to hear the voice of Son of God. In other words, at the point when a person dies, in that moment, the ear begins to hear something that isn't physical. And it comes from a world that isn't this world. And it says that that person, that life, will hear the voice of the Son of God. And they will continue to live. They're going to move residents. They don't need the body. The body can't handle them or help them anymore. And so in that moment, they're going to move. But their life still continues. Now they're just listening to the beat of a different drummer. And they're following a different drummer. And, and not, only is the, not only is the physical and the spiritual empowered and kept alive and monitored and maintained by God, but he can fix any of it in any, in any part of it. Um, the story of Lazarus in the New Testament is a great example. You know, Jesus came to the tomb, and he said, um, he's in here? And, 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 and Martha said, yeah, he's been in there. He's been in there now for a while. Jesus said, take the, take the rock off. Move the stone. And they said, you don't want to do that. This, is, this would not be pretty. This would not, 
that, Lord, you don't want to do that. Can you imagine the power that's sitting here or standing here saying, I don't care about any of that stuff, and none of it matters. Don't they realize that, it, that the physical, the, that the invisible and the visible, they're all the same to me? And, and the one or the other, whether to call the one back into the other, Lazarus, come out of there! You know, he just yells. And, and from another world, the Spirit returns. Because the power of God, is, it's irrelevant, whether you're physical or spiritual, or whether you've had any, any calamity at all, including dying. And none of that matters. He can just bring it all back together and move it in, in, any, way that, in any way that he wants. So this last part, how strong is his strength? He's not only able to accomplish things, he's able to act in a way that is never enables him to contradict himself or never causes him to contradict himself. He never reverses his intention or his word. We're told in the scripture that God never lies. Now we're told some interesting stories such as Abraham bargaining and talking and praying and saying, Lord, you need to do this. If, you can, if, I, can, if I can come up with this, can you do this? God is, a, God is a personal God. He's interested in us and he loves us. And so, of course, he can speak and, and so forth. But, but this says, doesn't he not act? does he speak and then not act? God's strong, God's power is such that it's impossible for him not to act if something needs to be done. If, if, if in his vision or his, his goal of his will of the world, it needs to be done, then it will be done. And this means, since God has a goal and a will, it means that ultimately, ultimately, he will not and is not able to put up with anybody who opposes it. Because his, his power is so great that his will has to be accomplished. There really are no options in the long run. Perhaps temporarily God will let someone test his will or try his will or think that they're accomplishing something against his will. But uh, when you're strong enough to establish the world and create beings by the force of your own will, then nothing those beings could ever do would ultimately keep your wish and your plan from taking place. Can I say that again? If you're powerful enough to create all the beings in all the worlds, there is absolutely nothing that any of those beings could do to, to keep your ultimate plan from being fulfilled. And it, and it just means that when people try and they uh, attempt in some way to fight against your will, ultimately they're going to be crushed. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father, that Jesus Christ is Lord. God is not a bully. He's simply so strong that the wheels of his chariot's just going to run right over top of anyone who attempts to stand in the way. Remember the uh, famous thing from the Tiananmen Square many years ago in China where the students went out and stood in front of the tanks and they, they held the flowers and the poor, the poor guys driving the tanks had no clue what to do and... and God, unfortunately, is not going to have any moment of indecision. It'll run right over top of them. It tells us this in the book of Revelation, that this is how things will go in the end. Not only, so it, it's, it's a necessary thing because of his strength that his opposition needs to be crushed. 
Can you give me, I think I have one more. Can, can you give me one more? I'm, I'm, I don't know what I did, Brandon. Can you bump me up to the last one there? And that, it is, it's this, that because he is so strong and overpowering and overwhelming as far as us and our world goes, it is impossible that God could allow a person not to believe that. So we have to trust him. He requires it. They came to Jesus and said, what, what do we have to do for God's sake? And Jesus said, it is required that you trust. You have to. He, he, he's so strong that ultimately the universe will not tolerate anybody who don't accept his strength. We, we, have, to, we have to embrace it. We have to trust it. And so that's why he says you have to believe. We might think, oh, you know, human beings might think, well, what kind of, what is God, some sort of a bully that he's requiring? Always says, well, you got to have faith by grace. You're saved through faith. Why do we have to have faith? This is why. It's because God is so, so strong. You, oh God, are strong. And what that means is, ultimately, it requires everybody in every case to accept that because there are no other options. You just eventually, strength runs out of other options. And so he requires, because it is needful for this, he requires, um, and, yet, and yet he limits his faith, I'm sorry, he limits his power to give us freedom. That's that last letter, I know there's a little part here. I'm losing people, so I'm going to stop. <laughs> Uh, the last, the, the last part is that I wanted to just mention this, and that ultimately God limits His power to give us a freedom. There's a limitation. There's a window of opportunity for us as human beings. It's for that sake, which which then is swings over to His love, and we'll come back to that next week. God's God's power is, is directed by his love. His power isn't just that of a bully. It's directed by his love. Would you stand with me, please? Lord, uh, we... As a closing song, as a closing prayer, we just offer to you our hearts. This is our song. To stand in your presence and say, you, O oh God, are powerful. You are strong. You are beyond question. You are beyond contradiction. You are beyond understanding. Your will will be done forever. And so today, we, we honor you and we pray that in all the areas and issues of our life, that the faith in your strength will bring that strength near to us and allow it to flow into our hearts. And through that, 
will come the wisdom that we need and the internal strength of character that we need for our own issues of justice and life and relationship. So help us, we pray. We thank you for the promises that you will do that. Dismiss us from this service to serve you and to serve one another. May your strength, O God, protect us as we go. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for coming today. May the Lord bless you.